Welcome to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony J. Algman. Data is everywhere in our businesses, and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. We've partnered with Dataversity to provide listeners with 20% off your first training center purchase with promo code ALGMANDL. Go to dataleadershiptraining.com to learn more. Today on episode 86, we welcome Rochelle Grove. Rochelle is the co-founder of Cut Class and host of the Allergic to Small Talk podcast. She and her team at Cut Class teach people to ditch their 9 to 5 to start their own business and how to grow their businesses through networking. Rochelle, welcome to the show. What's up, Anthony? I'm so excited to be here. We're so excited to have you. So please just take a few minutes and give us the story of your career and how all of your earlier experiences led up to doing what you do now. Yeah, so I used to be a trashy lady. I spent about eight years within the waste industry. And I always like to say I used to be a, a trashy lady. So it's a little fun joke, I like to say. And <laughs> while I was in my career at, in the waste industry, I ended up working myself up the corporate ladder. I got my executive MBA. I got the nice car. I had a nice house and I had a pretty good life for myself. At least that's what I thought I was supposed to, that was supposed to make me happy. Um, you know, everything that you think that you're supposed to do from society and from like what your parents tell you, right? And you, and I had it all, but every t day when I went home, I just found myself like really unhappy and I couldn't understand why. There was something that was missing for me. And it was more of the fact that I was living my life up, that, up until that point for the extrinsic things that were kind of driving me in the world. And I wasn't really finding out what was going to drive me intrinsically. Mm. And that's when I just decided to walk away from the corporate job, walk away from the car, walk away from everything and really figure out what it was I wanted to do in life. And I figured out that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to be a business owner. And I do have two businesses now. One is Cut Class, and I'm also the host of Allergic to Small Talk. Um, and really, what I want what I want to do with Cut Class and what we are doing is we teach people that are in that exact same position that we were all those years ago um, when they find themselves kind of doing everything that they thought they were supposed to do, and kind of figure out, you know what, I kind of want more for my life in the realm of freedom and flexibility, and also finances. So. I find people that are maybe wanting to be corporate dropouts and teaching them the tips and tools to create a business of their own. That's that's awesome. And and I think a, a helpful uh, benefit to people that are really feeling that same way. And I think that there's so many there's so many interesting avenues to this that, that I would be um, that I'm interested in exploring with you. And, and the, the first that comes to mind is, is just like this has been. I think we've heard this story before, right? The the corporate person just isn't happy, does something crazy, and then becomes you know on the on the cover of Fortune uh, <laughs> later, you know, in their career. And it, but it, it's it's almost a cliche, but at the same rate, like I think that this is a relatable story for people because even if you aren't one who really wants to go and do the whole entrepreneurial path or feels that that strong, hey. I'm, I don't love like hanging out on the beach all the time. Like people are like, I want to do that as my life. I'm like, <laughs> I like the idea of it, but maybe not necessarily for me, but I think it's eminently relatable. Like the idea of being an entrepreneur, just like the idea of being on a beach sounds great, but it isn't all just 
perfection and, and happiness. And so why don't we think about, because right now, I'm sure there's plenty of people that are thinking about either they are unhappy and where they are with work. We're coming out of the pandemic, hopefully, and we are in, in situations with our, our jobs and, and businesses that may be challenging or may be um you know, over the last couple of years uh, through adversity, we've realized, hey, we don't have quite the satisfaction that we think we should. Um, what's unique about now versus what's the same as it's ever been? So I'll answer that in two in two ways. So one, Gallup poll did a, a study a, a couple years ago that it was a global study that um asked people around the world, like, how satisfied are you with your jobs? And it came back and the study came back saying that 85% 85 of people around the globe hate their jobs. So wow. that's number one. Um, so I would say that this has been a people kind of not being in love with their jobs is, is a global issue. And number two, why now, right? So we've come out of the pandemic, people had a taste of what it's like to work from home, right? And they've had a chance to kind of rethink of how they're spending their time. And um, now you're hearing about the great resignation. People are starting to wake up. People are starting to understand that, yes, a job is very important and it is what you know provides the means for our lives, but is that it? Is that mm -hmm. what we're gonna spend one third of our entire lives doing is working for somebody else? And I think that's kind of why I think it's like, why now? I think people have gotten a taste of what it's like to what it might be like to work on their own because they've had the chance to work from home due to the pandemic. Yeah, I think the work from home is certainly something that, that drives a lot of folks right now and, and realizing that you should have more control of your days than just feeling you have to do a bunch of things. And I felt... You know, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was early in my career, and it was uh, the manager, the, the industry and the job aren't that important, but he, he said to me, he's like, he's like, you have to think about your career as you are the CEO of Anthony Incorporated. Yeah. You, know, you are deciding every day that you want to go to this other job and that your client, the business that you're working for is the client you want to be working with. And, and having that just permission to feel the flexibility, even in the corporate world, made a big difference to me. And it also impacted how I saw jobs and saw my career. Um, but I think that a lot of people don't necessarily approach things that way. So that's that's maybe a good first step is to realize, hey, you're deciding every day you're going to that job, whether or not you're actively doing it or not, you're making that decision. And you can make another decision if you need to. And and it's not as hard as, as one might think. Now, I'll couple that, though, having done this myself multiple times in my career, um, you've know, gone out and done my own thing or found a business partner and tried to build a business or did whatever. Um, you haven't really lived 
as an entrepreneur <laughs> until you have no idea where you're getting the cash from for some <laughs> payment, whether it's mortgage, whether it's payroll, what have you. Until you've gotten to that point, you, you don't know what it's really like. And that's not for everybody. Do you, How do you coach? Because all of a sudden we're, we're starting this thing and I'm telling you all my ideas on this. You're the expert. <laughs> yeah. how, how, how do you manage? Like, how do you manage that fear? Because I've been there. I know what that's like. But that to me is the thing that if a person is okay with the fact that everything's at risk, everything is in, in question, but you have a passion or you have a calling or you have a desire to do something at a level where you're willing to do that, how do you know that that's the right time? Like, how do you coach people through that mental exercise of all of a sudden going out on their own? I mean, that's, it's, it's just a wild thought for people that have been doing something, building skill sets for 20 something years. Absolutely. So that's a really, really great question. And the way we like to approach this particular scenario is first, it's kind of talking about how we are, how we've kind of been conditioned up into this point in our lives. So let's take a look at our school system. Our school system has been modeled to teach us to be employees. So we go to school from like eight to three. And if we have working parents, we have to go to after school clubs. So we don't get picked up until like five or six. And so that also is what we do for work. We go to work from like eight to five and at school, we answer to a boss. I mean, at school, we answer to our teacher and at work, we answer to our boss and at school, we turn in homework and at work, we turn in these assignments or projects or what have you. So school has conditioned us to be employees. I'm not saying school's terrible and I'm not saying school's bad, but school, like the initial idea of school was built back in the industrial age to get people ready to go to work, to work in factories. Mm -hmm. It's not that it is a wrong system. I just think it's flawed and there's a couple of things that are broken in it. And then when we get to like higher level thinking, when we get into college or we get into like, um, you know, wanting to get MBAs or whatever it is, like we're given career coaches. We're not given entrepreneurial coaches or small business coaches. So I always like to start there to talk about the world that we've been raised in. This is what we've been raised to do. We're not raised to necessarily be entrepreneurial thinkers or small business thinkers, right? So why, when it feels like it's risky or it feels like we're going out to be a small business owner for the first time, it seems scary, not because like it necessarily is, it's just that we haven't been given access to the information as we've been raised in the world. Does that make sense? I hope, hopefully I didn't go off onto a tangent there, but um, that's kind of where we start first is, is talking about how we've been raised as a culture. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I don't think it's something I've ever thought about in the in that context at all is I have to ask, is that where cut class comes from? <laughs> like the word cup? I have to know where that comes from. What is that? What does that mean? Ding, 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 ding. Yes, that's absolutely <laughs> right. why we came up with our business name called the cut class, because my business partner, Leslie and I, we met when we did our executive MBAs at Pepperdine and mm. we are arguably each other's most expensive friend and business partner because we had to spend lots of money to meet each other. Um, mm -hmm. But we, after we got our, our, our degrees, um, we also had to go back into the corporate world and still get up to the executive suite. But there was still something like missing for us. We're like, dude, we just spent all this money and we've worked so hard to get to this like level. Like, why are we still not feeling like we made it? So we thought like, you know what, let's take all of our experience from our education as well as what we've learned in the corporate world and give it to people 
um, in a way that's digestible and easy for them to really start businesses. Like they don't need to necessarily go to a formal classroom to gain this knowledge. So that's why we did name our <laughs> business Cut Class. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the ethos behind it. I like that a lot. Um, I, while we're at, at um, the name, so like your your podcast, I would just want to know a little bit about your podcast as well, because it says allergic to small talk. And I'm like, <laughs> you have created a podcast about the topic that I hate more than anything. <laughs> like there is nothing that is worse. I would rather give a speech in front of 10,000 people than to have to talk to five people with small talk in some random social setting. Like it's it's so much worse to talk to those people about the weather or something like that. Yeah, so allergic to small talk. So I really love people. I really love networking. I moved to England about four years ago, and I didn't know anybody. So I've had to rebuild my entire life um, from scratch. And I've done that by de developing genuine connections with other human beings in England. And so one of the um, cornerstones of our program is building your network and building your community. You mentioned earlier, you know, it's risky for Pete for people that kind of have been in those corporate roles to then go off on their own and to become a business owner. And when we're in a nine to five job, like our community and our network is almost created for us, right? Like we have coworkers, et cetera, and you naturally develop relationships with them. But when you become a business owner, it can feel lonely. And so as a business owner, it's kind of up to you to create that community around you of like-minded people to support you in mm -hmm. so many facets of your life that you like are you're going to need it. Like it's not easy being an entrepreneur. It's not easy being a small business owner. So you have to find that community to support you. So Allergic to Small Talk is a resource to teach people how to network, but also teaches them practical business tips to grow their business. It's such a good point. And as I think when I was doing independent consulting, what I miss, I was always surrounded by people, but I always was on this journey kind of on my own. And I missed more than more than the like financial challenges and, and that stuff bothered me. It was the lack of being able to really build a team or have that that team around me the same way. And so I struggled with how do I plug into that? Um, and I found actually where I drew similar kind of um, satisfaction was when I started doing like this podcast. It, it was basically I started to create a community, started to have that conversation with folks on an individual level when they're when they're guests on the show, but also just that collaboration of talking about data leadership in a, in a bunch of different contexts. For me, that was the community that I always wanted to have, and I didn't need a employer to give that to me, but I had to go out and find that, had to go out and and do that. So I, I think that's a really important point is not everybody necessarily should go out on their own and, and <laughs> should really think about those things because it you're going to find that, hey, we have this tendency as people to swing the pendulum too far in the direction of what's bothering us currently. Right. So if, if we're really hate the lack of flexibility at our current job, we're working very regimented hours, we're driving in these commutes to the, the office that we think we should be able to work remotely from. And we're like, I want all the freedom in the world. And then you realize when you have all the freedom in the world, you miss all the structure and all the people and all of that. Yeah. Stuff. And you're like, wait a second, I have I have gone awry again. And so I think it's how do you help people know whether or not it's a passing fancy of wanting to be an entrepreneur, like, man, I would love to not have to go to the office today versus it's something re like 
it, it's it's to me it's like a beach dream sometimes like i really do love the work that i do and i've loved it for a long time and it blows my mind that people like 85 percent of the people out there hate their jobs i'm like are they not working with data all day because it's the best you know and but how do you how do you know if it's like i should uproot my entire career i mean you were you were invested like yeah. literally and figuratively in an executive career how did you say for sure like yeah it's time let's do this like how do they know how do you know that uh, for sure or can you ever know it for sure sure so we like to break it down into four categories right like i'm not saying like this is like a 17 or 18 year old like not that 17 or 18 year olds can't like create booming businesses right i'm really talking about I'm really talking about somebody that's gotten to a point in their career where they're seasoned, they have knowledge, they have an expertise, like they're becoming like that thought leader, but there is still something that's missing for them. And the mm -hmm. way that we like to really identify that is like, sometimes it starts like as a whisper and it's like, it does start with a, I don't really want to go to work today. It might mm -hmm. start as that little tiny voice in your head. That's like, you know what? I really don't want to do this project. And then it starts to become louder where maybe those louder roars is you're getting into fights with your partner. Like there are, maybe you're starting to get into squabbles with your, your coworkers. Maybe like you're just not delivering platinum work. There starts to be a crumble in, in, in the, the, the delivery of the work and the person that you're being for those people in your life. And it's usually because it's related to that symptom of your, it's like a symptom of like you not wanting to be at that, at that job. But one of the biggest like things that we like to ask our clients is if you did not have, if you did not have to go to work today, if you weren't like, if you didn't have to worry about money, like if you didn't have to do that, like, what would you be doing? Like if all that stuff was stripped away, like, and you didn't have to worry, what would you be doing? And typically that's where it's kind of like a starting point. Um, that's where we really find people are in that like mastery level where they can actually take their like skills and expertise and their passion and turn that into a business. But if they're still kind of like that person that is still in those early stages of their career where they're still trying to figure out like what it is they're great at, like that's mm -hmm. kind of like, listen, you got to kind of get your feet a little bit more wet in the, in the corporate world or get some more knowledge and skill set before you can really like take what you know and turn it into a business. Great advice. And, and I think about that a lot, like how I feel very fortunate that I found data leadership relatively early in my career, maybe a decade into my career and have been building on that premise in some way or another ever since. And, you know, it, and really I can trace back earlier, like I was always pulled towards this. Right. And that I feel very, very fortunate about because I also believe there's a lot of people out there who never find that at all. They right. work their entire careers and, and never find that at all. So I think your your point to that effect, like if you have that thing, don't lose that. Like if you're going to go and if you didn't have to work for your job for money and, and all that and you would go and do this anyway, consider yourself lucky that you even know what that is. And then maybe that is a good sign that you should be thinking about doing something bigger because you have that good fortune of knowing, Hey, this is what your life's work is about. I also think about like, you know, when I, when I was in uh, graduate school for my MBA, I, I took some entrepreneurial classes and, and what have you. And I, and I talked to these people who didn't have that. They didn't have like, this is, I'm a data leadership person and I do data <laughs> leadership stuff. They, they had a, a, a need and a desire to be an entrepreneur, but they didn't care 
about so much what the function was like like i mm. there was a story of a person who went and bought like a window manufacturing and installation company and he wasn't a big window fan like he wasn't like <laughs> reading books about windows all the time but he bought this business and turned it into something but his passion was for owning a business it didn't right. matter what the business did so much is that he really loved that administration do you see that and is that a good path usually to, to entrepreneurialism or is it is that a something different yeah i don't think i don't think that there there's anything like flawed with that mindset because at the end of the day to me it could also just sound like it could be that for that particular person, it's impact. Maybe they're just impacting those particular people in that business and they're growing it to a certain point and really impacting the lives that are for those particular people. Maybe they really like to take complicated problems where it's like a massive challenge and they're like, doesn't matter what business it is, they can like transition that and transform it into something bigger. So maybe that's kind of what their particular passion is. And they're, it doesn't mean that they have to necessarily be passionate about the particular products per se, but maybe it's the impact and like where they get it from like A to like Z. It's a good point. I, I think that somebody could have a passion literally for being an entrepreneur, for being yeah. the boss and, and trying to grow something. It doesn't matter as much what that is. And the opportunities could be in those areas that people aren't passionate about. Like I, I joke about like data leadership or whatever. I do that because I love it, not because <laughs> it's a good business model. And yet if you were passionate about being an entrepreneur and you found a good business model, that sounds like a really decent plan for an exit strategy from your from your current corporate gig. Yeah, like, you know, it's interesting that you, you brought this up because I, I mean, I, I love TikTok and there's mm -hmm. this woman on TikTok who's really cool and she talks about boring businesses. And she's mm -hmm. like, listen, the businesses that I own aren't super sexy, but she just wants to be able to have like, really successful businesses and she doesn't mind that they're laundromats she doesn't mind that they're ice makers like she doesn't mind that like she has a business where they like literally draw like um like crosswalk signs you know she's like no it's just i really like to have like a really strong portfolio of businesses and she has really strong leaders in those businesses that she mentors so you know I don't think it, it doesn't, and she's not, obviously no one's like saying, I'm so passionate about like laundromats. No, like no one's going to be passionate about that, but she's just passionate about being the entrepreneur and having like a really strong portfolio. That's, that's an interesting, an interesting story. I also think like I could actually point in my own experience, like as a data leadership consultant, I'm there to help businesses in any industry do data leadership better, to do to build their systems better or what have you. And I mean, my, my current day job, I work in a, in a place where I didn't have a whole lot of experience <laughs> in the domain, but I have a lot of experience in the function. And so there can be that shift between domain and function and how it, it's positioned. And two, if you're going to go into a business that you don't love, and it happens to be a business that a lot of people do really love, yeah. then you're probably not going to be in the right business. And so I've, I've like one, one that I, I, I recently stumbled into and just learning more about was like uh, auto detailing, like auto detailers are in every town they're doing, you know, car washes and, and, in you know, detail. It's a good thing to do in your car. I really should do that someday. But I learned <laughs> about it. And, and what you find is this community of people who do this because they love it and then try to create a business around it because they love to do it. You know, data leadership consultants can be the same way. And so it's, it's, but then you, you have to compete with all of those people who truly love the thing. And if you are the equivalent of the person with the, the window installation company going into the, the world of detailers who love this function so much, 
you're going to be in a, in a tough spot. But like to your point, laundromats, nobody's that deep into <laughs> laundromats. Nobody's yeah. like, I cannot wait to watch those machines go. Like it's, it's <laughs> that it, it's an interesting thought. I don't know that I've ever really thought about these in quite this context before. Um, but getting back to like how you are engaging with folks and how your business helps people. And so obviously you're, you're helping people manage that transition. Is your business set up as a consultancy? And you, you mentioned that you, you moved to uh, the UK. Um, are you focusing your business there? Are you, you still in the US or how, how do you manage that? Is it a global footprint or how do you actually do the work as your own entrepreneur to help folks in their sure. journeys as, uh, to entrepreneurialism? Yeah, when we were doing our market research, we we were taking a look specifically on the in the e-learning industry. So what we technically do is part e-learning and coaching. And so when we were doing our market research, we realized that the e-learning industry is really booming in um, in Asia, and then coming in that second was is the United States. So most of our marketing and our businesses geared towards the US, even though I'm based here in the United Kingdom, but our business is global. So anybody can really take part in our, in our online programs as well as like coaching. And, um, yeah, so I, a lot of our marketing, like we don't target like the UK really at all. Love you guys love the UK and all, but, um, the US just has a stronger market for, um, coaching and online learning services. And, and are you engaging, I would imagine you're engaging with people on a, you know, one by one basis this is probably more, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, you're, you're, you're working with people who are interested in making that transition versus businesses or, um, are you helping entrepreneurs get going or is it, just, is it more like professional coaching for the, the leadership? Yeah. So. No, it's a, yeah, it's perfect. So we typically work with female executives. We love you men, but we just noticed that most of the people that are coming through our programs are women. And it's interesting because we didn't necessarily want it to be that way, but that's where we're at in our business. And we're realizing, oh, 99% of the people that are coming through our doors are women. Guess what? The people that wanted to leave their jobs and that own our company and running our company were women. We were those women that were in the in their position all those years ago. So it makes kind of sense that we're kind of attracting people like us because we were those people. Um, so it's typically going to be people that are in senior management. They are in executive levels as well. But we found that in our marketing messaging, when we were saying like we're looking for executive women, those women that were in senior management roles. Um, were actually still qualified to take their skills and expertise and turn it into a small business and even like upper management, like there's, they were almost ready as well. So, um, we work for it with anything from like management, senior management and executive level, uh, to turn their, to, to create a business. As you work with senior executives or, or executives, senior management, um, folks that are, have that thought leadership ability or, um, seniority and, and expertise to be able to go out like parlay that into a entrepreneurial endeavor. Um, oftentimes, a content creation strategy becomes part of that journey. And so they may be doing that even prior to making that kind of entrepreneurial leap. What kind of advice do you have for people who are trying to open that door or do some sort of easier transition um, to that entrepreneurial journey, maybe by doing more thought leadership. I mean, podcasts, I know everybody seems to have one, but 
you know, there's a million different reasons why you might want to have a podcast. What are your what's your advice for folks that are, are thinking about, like, how do I start to test the waters of whether or not my ideas here are any good and maybe worth, you know, quitting the cushy executive job for um, before they take that leap entirely? Sure. So I think on the content creation side, we always suggest that a small business owner has a one piece of long form content and long form content is either a blog, a vlog or a podcast. And, mm. and then when we're thinking about like, whether somebody can, like, can test like what they're great at before they kind of turn that into a business, we will, t we like to suggest like, you know, like some people think like you have to quit your job right away and like go cold turkey to like start your own thing but it can be like a gradual process and i think that's where people kind of get tripped up on like well how exactly am i going to actually create my own business i can't leave my job i need health insurance i need all these things it's like hold on relax we can pick an end date when you want to get out of that job and create like all the steps in between that need to happen and so we can then, that's kind of like your testing phase where you can test the different types of skill sets that you have and start doing like freelancing, consulting, um, pick up some small like jobs that you can do on the side for maybe past clients, maybe some new clients that you can get referred to, to test maybe some of that expertise that you've picked up along your way. And then you can like start creating your like long form content and put out into the world. Hope I Hopefully I, I answered that correctly. Completely. And and I think it's it's worth reminding folks like you don't have to have decided you're going to quit your day job to go be an entrepreneur. Like it sounds like that advice plays if you're just exploring and you're just trying to understand why am I feeling unfulfilled in my life and what I'm doing? There's ways that you might be able to solve for that without being a binary decision of, oh, I've got to quit what I do and have done for my entire career to go do something else. It, it may be more subtle than that, and you may be able to to fill that in. And, and so I think that's a good place to start is that if you explore it and keep learning and keep doing things because you're called to do them, good things happen from that. You you learn about yourself. You learn about your career journey. and. It's, you know, life's too short to not explore that stuff and, and to understand as best you can what makes you happy in the end. I think that's the whole point, if, I, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. <laughs> Absolutely. So how do you how do you manage to juggle all of this um, with, you know, because you're you've, you're in the UK, you've got the two businesses with the podcast as well as as cut class. Um, you've got a family, you've got all these different things as, as an advice to people that are going from what is a pretty regimented, because that's the downside of, of flexibility, right? Some of the, the, the structure disappears with that as well. So you have to have more discipline, more structure, self-imposed versus externally imposed. How do you manage all of that? And, and I, and help others through that at the same time. It must be, it must be even more pressure than just trying to get it right for yourself. You're also trying to get it right for yourself as an example for all these people you're trying to help in your day job. Yeah. So I just, um, I'm almost done with this book called the big leap. I don't know if you've read it before, but it's by Gay Hendricks and he, and in the book, like he talks about how we operate in like four quadrants in our lives in our lives. And the first quadrant is the zone of incompetence. So these, this is a zone where people operate where they don't really know anything about. So let's take, for example, there's a lawyer that gets paid like a thousand dollars an hour, 
but he has like a leaky faucet at home. And he's like, you know what? I'm just going to fix the leaky faucet. And then on a Saturday, he spends like five hours trying to fix this leaky faucet. And he's like, crap, I need to call a plumber anyways to fix this. Well, he's just wasted $5,000 of his time trying to fix something that he knows nothing about. So that's like your zone of incompetence. The next one is your zone of competence and it's stuff, stuff you're good at, but there probably would be somebody that could cope a little bit better with that, that type of task or job. Right. And then you have your zone of excellence. And these are the things where you're just, you're gelling, like you're really good at it. You're super awesome at it, but then you have your zone of genius. And so when everybody should like have a goal to get into that zone of genius, but for some reason, there's like these upper limit things that are preventing us from getting into that zone of genius. And it could be things like, um, complaining about like needing to do emails today, complaining that you have to do X, Y, and Z admin task, whatever it is, that's really preventing you from getting into that zone of genius. You have to identify what are those, what really are those upper limits that are preventing you from operating at like that genius level. So what we've gotten really good at, at, at cut class is identifying like hiring help that can, that can really take on those tasks that maybe we are competent in, maybe we're excellent in, but how can we get somebody that can do those tasks where it is their genius zone? So when we're talking about like managing it all, I don't manage it all. And I choose not to manage it all for the things that I know that I'm like not great at, or I don't want to like manage. Like I have a personal assistant for our family and I know it sounds crazy, but I don't want to worry about like our laundry being picked up or being folded and put away because I need to like use my mind to like think about my zone of genius and also be present for my partner and our son. So it, you can like take those upper limits as like far as you'd want to really make sure you're always staying in like that, that zone of genius. And I think it's just identifying like what your genius zone is first and then figuring out what are all those upper limits that are going to just, that are preventing me from always operating there. It's great advice. I was just thinking of so many examples of where I've done <laughs> things where I'm like, why did I just spend an hour trying to save $3 on something yeah. versus, yeah. And so it's really good advice that I think can resonate with everybody in, in the audience because I think that's a human nature thing is that you're like, oh, it's no, it's not going to be any big deal. And I mean, how many, how many home plumbing <laughs> projects went as well as you thought they were going to go, right? It's, it, it never does. It never does. Just call, call an expert beforehand and, and recognize, you know, the opportunity that you have to learn from them and the work that they do for you too is is recognize hey i'm in the presence of a person who's really an expert at something i don't know anything about and i irritate everyone who comes to my house to do work that i can't do myself and i'll stand there and ask them questions and derail them i'm kind of like a podcast host and doing that and it just goes really bad they're like anthony stop talking let me get this <laughs> done i'll answer any questions to you later but um it's yeah, the it, same it, for it just, me I, yeah. <laughs> no, it's the same for me. Like, um, I recently started really getting heavily into like SEO because I want our content to perform. And so I started taking like a free SEO, like course on HubSpot. And mm -hmm. I started digging into different like SEO tools and all sorts. Right. And I go, what am I doing? What am I doing? Like I have, I can learn it. Like I probably can learn it. Cause I'm not like, you know, I'm not like a silly person. Like I can learn it, but like do I really need to be learning it so much in depth or do I need to know just enough so that I, when I do hire a third party that I can at least be on a, a somewhat of a 
knowledge level with them to kind of understand what they're doing, but I don't need to know like the deep technical stuff about it. So when I like read the big leap, I'm like, okay, I'm going to need to hire somebody that knows exactly what they're doing so that I can stay in my zone of genius. So I think everybody falls into that trap. Yeah. And as I bring it back to like a data leadership, Mm -hmm. um, topic i think about and and this is relevant for everybody and as you move through your career things that you used to do you can't do anymore as you're higher up in in management as you're into more leadership positions like i i grew up in technology i was programming stuff and doing data (laughs) stuff and i've managed to do it most of my career and for the last couple years just nothing like i want to i want to do more of it and it's just it can never be a high enough priority compared to my other priorities. And, and the opportunity cost of being technical hands-on is just too high at this point. And so you got to let that, you got to let that go. Sometimes I think about the last baseball game I played in high school. I was a big baseball player growing up. And in <laughs> high school, we had our final game and like nobody on my team was going to like college to play baseball or anything like that. Like we our last day of, of varsity baseball in high school. We we game was over. We walked out to the left field for some reason. I don't even know why they had us walk down to like left field. And we all took a knee and the coach was like, nope, you're done. <laughs> you're done playing baseball. <laughs> it's time to move on and focus on your life. And and I think back to that. I don't even remember what he said. I'm paraphrasing. But but I think back to that. It's like at certain milestones you just have to let go and i look back on that time but there's always going to be that last game there's always going to be that last time you you did something on your own that you just can't afford to do anymore and the way you put it with that zone of genius where you can focus on those things that you uniquely do well and add so much more value by doing that that's what like that's what data leadership is all about i mean that's really what it's all about is how do i take all of these inputs and then drive some sort of action, some sort of activity or decision to optimize the business results in the end. You're talking about data leadership as you explain this. It's exactly the same thing. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it's you don't. It's it's just it's different lenses to the same fundamental human equation. And I think that you know if people are out there are thinking about making change or. or, or going into different careers, going into an entrepreneurial endeavor. It's, you know, first about understanding where you are and what you do well and what you want to spend that third of your life doing, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we only have another minute or, or so left. So I, have we missed anything? I feel like we've we've talked a lot about things that people could be thinking about. But do you have any, like parting thoughts, any advice that you'd like to give folks that they're probably swimming with ideas right now after listening to us for the last 40 minutes or so? Yeah, I would say um, on a personal note, I would say as a fellow podcaster, support Anthony. Being a podcaster isn't easy. Um, bringing on you know, he brings on specific guests for a reason and he try and he's really giving you like the best content to really drive your data leadership forward. So go out and support everything that he's doing because it is phenomenal. Um, so, and I love it. So make sure you're supporting cause it, a lot of work does go into it. And then secondly, um, you know, we, you know, you, we work one third of our entire lives. And so make sure you're spending that time doing something that you really love and has an impact on the people around you. Um, if you have like that 
voice inside of you that's like telling you that maybe you're unhappy or there's more for you, there probably is. So just listen to it because at some point that little whisper is going to become a roar and it will kick you into action. If it's not now, it definitely will in the future. It's a great parting wisdom. Before we go, what's, what's the best way for folks to find you? You can hit me up on TikTok at It's Ro Grow, or you can say hello to me on LinkedIn at Rochelle Grow and our website, Let's Cut Class. Outstanding. Rochelle, thank you so much for being on the show today. This has been awesome. Thank you, Anthony. I had a blast. And thank you all for joining us today. As always, you'll find more information and links in the show notes. Go to dataleadershiplessons.com to subscribe and check out past episodes and accelerate your journey with training at dataleadershiptraining.com. Stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact. 